All right, praise God. Appreciate our fill-in song leader this morning. Uh, let's go ahead and pray. We'll dismiss our young people to their class. Uh, Father God, thank you, Lord, for the day today. Lord, thank you for the privilege, the opportunity to be here in Sunday school this morning. Uh, we're grateful. Uh, Lord, I pray that you have your hand upon each class. Lord, help us to reverence you and your words today. And Lord, give us a hunger and thirst for you and for your words today. Help us, Lord, to see exactly that which you would have us to see today. Lord, work now, we pray, for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, young people and teachers thereof, you are dismissed. Go forth and learn, please. Uh, older people, that, that's us, Brother Ray. Revelation 11 this morning. Revelation chapter 11 this morning, please. Another, you know, these, these chapters don't get less interesting or, or challenging, but uh, I praise God this morning we can open up uh, our Bibles and, and uh, read together and study together and see the things the Lord uh, would have us to see. Uh, it seems to be the case this morning that uh, we're about halfway through the tribulation period. Recall, tribulation period would, would it seems to be, almost certainly would seem to be uh, seven years. Uh, Brother Ray, it's Daniel's 70th week. Those are years. Um, so we, we have a seven-year period. And it looks like uh, today the Lord is showing us that we're, we're about halfway through. We, we, we come to a point of uh, three and a half years uh, here in this chapter. So uh, events uh, related to the close of the first half or first three and a half years, uh, and then followed by uh, the seventh trumpet, which is the third woe. That gets a little bit confusing, but you can remember that, the, the, the final trumpet judgment, uh, which the Lord has called the third woe. So, so we see that here. Now, uh, if you've been reading ahead or, or perhaps you remember, you also recall this is the chapter where we see, Brother Garcia, these two witnesses. Uh, these, these two, uh, who by the way, seem to be prophesied by Zechariah also in chapter four. We'll look at that uh, in a minute. Uh, these two uh, who the Lord uses uh, to uh, preach uh, forth uh, there at the temple. Uh, evidently, they are killed uh, by the Antichrist. Their bodies lie in the street. Uh, Brother Ray, it looks like for three and a half days, not, not years. The Lord supernaturally resurrects them. Of course, the Antichrist wants to uh, counterfeit that same miracle, but uh, it's interesting that while they lay dead in the street, it, uh, their bodies are seen evidently by, by people around the world. And you know, people look at that and say, well, that means the, the, the rapture and the tribulation period couldn't happen until now because that would require modern day cable like CNN or Fox, right? Uh, and, and so we would say, well, maybe that's what the Lord will use, but he could have accomplished the same thing supernaturally prior to uh, the modern technology of today. So we'll see that. We'll consider these things. Uh, let's jump in here. Uh, Revelation chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 1, uh, John seems to be alluding to describing the tribulation temple. Uh, he says, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise, stand up, uh, and measure the temple of God in the altar and them that worship therein. Now, uh, I think as we proceed through the chapter here, it'll be clear that uh, this, this is the tribulation temple. Remember, there's four temples in scripture. There's Solomon's temple. Uh, there's the Zerubbabel Herod temple, the one that comes after the 
uh, the captivity. There's the tribulation temple, the one that we see here, that John sees uh, here in, in this vision. Uh, and then the, the temple of the millennium or, or the millennial temple. We believe that'll be different temple, fourth temple. Later on, toward the end of the chapter, it seems like John is privileged to witness the, the heavenly temple also. Remember the Lord said uh, in, in Hebrews, the earthly temple is a picture of the heavenly temple. And so uh, it seems that John has the privilege here in the, in the opening portion of the chapter to see uh, the future tribulation temple, but he also has the privilege to see the, the heavenly temple as well. So uh, we'll, we'll try to keep them, to keep them separate. Verse 2 says this, but the court, the court of the temple, which is without or outside the temple, leave out, measure it not. Don't measure that, uh, for it is given unto the Gentiles. It's under uh, Gentile control at this time. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot 40 and 2 months. How many months are in a year? 12, right? So uh, 12 times 3 would be 36. Uh, add another six, so it'll be three and a half years, gets us to 42 months, right? Uh, Mrs. Hammond, is my math correct? I'll, she's my go-to, Brother Gary, for math, uh, but I believe that would be correct. So it seems to be this, this is giving us sort of a, a, a time point on the tribulation timeline. We, uh, at least that would seem to be the case. We, we come to this uh, center point on, on the tribulation timeline. John seems to be saying also that he sees that the, uh, this, this area is under Gentile control uh, during this time uh, at least. And then the witnesses. So uh, the scene is established. Uh, he's, he's halfway through the, the tribulation at the tribulation temple. Uh, and then uh, in verse 3, he says, and I will give, this is the Lord speaking unto him, or, or the angel speaking unto him, and I will give power uh, unto my two witnesses, uh, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days uh, clothed in sackcloth. Uh, and so two witnesses that the Lord will use uh, to prophesy or, or to preach. Brother Ray, there's, we know that there is 144,000 uh, who have fanned out evidently across the world, uh, who will preach uh, the gospel and, and many will be saved. But there's two uh, who are singled out by the Lord and seem to be especially supernaturally uh, empowered by him uh, who preach, who prophesy uh, here at the temple. Verse four says this, these are the two olive trees uh, and the two candlesticks standing before the God uh, of the earth. Now, I ask you, uh, if you would, please turn, uh, turn back to Zechariah in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 4. Uh, Zechariah chapter 4. Make, make a note, have a note here that uh, the language here is, is very similar uh, to that which the Lord had Zechariah uh, to pen down. Uh, and uh, they're, they're so similar, there's such great similarities that it would seem to be the case that uh, these are the two uh, witnesses, the same two, there you go, uh, who the Lord had Zechariah to prophesy of, obviously, uh, uh, much earlier, uh, hundreds of years before uh, John's vision. So uh, if you're there in Zechariah chapter 4, so remember John uh, called them two olive trees and two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Here in uh, Zechariah 4, and verse, beginning in verse 11, 
he writes, then I answered and said unto him, what are these two olive trees? So two olive trees uh, upon the right side of the candlestick. So there's, there's a, a candlestick. Uh, John, had, John calls them two. Zechariah says one. Uh, and upon the left side thereof. Uh, so there's the right side and, and the left side. So could be an allusion to two. And I answered again and said unto him, what be these two olive branches, uh, these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? He answered unto me and said, knowest thou not what these be? And I said, no, my Lord. Brother A, I think I would have had to say that also. No, my Lord, I'm sorry, I don't. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. And so uh, two anointed ones, uh, two uh, whom the Lord is using. Um, he's, language here uh, refers to olive trees uh, and candlesticks. Uh, olive trees, uh, of course, produce olives, which, Brother Ray, olives are used to produce what? Uh, olive oil, right? And so we understand in the Old Testament, olive oil, uh, was used for anointing, and that that uh, anointing with olive oil pictures the anointing of, of the Holy Spirit. This is a fairly consistent image uh, in, in the Old Testament. And so uh, these, men, these two men, these two witnesses, are called olive trees. Uh, perhaps the idea here is that they have a, a special anointing um, of the Spirit. Uh, they're, they're, they're filled with, they're, they're yielded to, they're controlled by, they're anointed with the Spirit. Of course, the anointing oil of the Old Testament pictured the anointing of Christ uh, with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. Um, this is the idea of the word uh, Messiah, anointed one. Uh, and so the idea here seems to be these two witnesses are anointed by the Lord with the Holy Spirit for their ministry uh, that the Lord has called them to uh, right now. Uh, candlesticks uh, is interesting language also. Uh, we know there are candlesticks. Uh, there were candlesticks in the tabernacle and the temple, uh, which picture Christ being the, the light uh, probably is the idea, almost certainly. Uh, we know also that Lord has used candlesticks as a reference to or, or allusion to uh, his churches and the idea that a church could lose its candlestick status if it's not yielded to and sufficiently obedient to the Lord. That, that's a scary thought. So uh, perhaps here the idea, the, the picturing of the call of local churches to share the gospel. But uh, these two are anointed by the Lord to be a light uh, unto the world uh, at this point in the tribulation, uh, crying forth the gospel in a very special uh, supernatural way. Now, Brother Ray, we understand that we are filled with, um, the, uh, as we yield to the Holy Spirit, we're indwelt by the Spirit of God, uh, filled, uh, especially supernaturally enabled by the Spirit as we yield to the Spirit uh, to give forth the light of the gospel as members of the Lord's candlesticks also. So uh, you know, we understand how the Lord uses this language and, and the significance of it. But boy, as I, I look at it here, I say, well, okay, I'm, I'm not the two witnesses of the tribute, one of the two, uh, neither are you. But boy, we understand that just as the Lord will use these two supernaturally, he desires to use us supernaturally today also uh, as those who are indwelt by 
of the Spirit of God to be the light of the Lord in the world, to shine forth, to give forth uh, the gospel. Okay, so there's, there, there's a reminder of the same call upon us, but uh, these are two who have a special uh, anointing, evidently, and a special ministry of crying forth the gospel uh, and prophecy uh, at this time. They have supernatural abilities. You look at verse 5, they have a supernatural ability to protect themselves. Uh, verse 5 says this, if any man will hurt them, if everybody tries to hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouths. Brother Gary, you know what I think that means? I think that means fire proceeds out of their mouths. I think that's what that means. Uh, uh, if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. Uh, and if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. That's pretty direct language. Brother Ray, I know a lot of language uh, or some of the language, of course, Revelation is, is symbolic. There's, there's no question about that. Uh, but I, this is, this is pretty, um, pretty uh, direct uh, language here. Uh, I don't think this is symbolic. I think that the Lord, uh, as he supernaturally enabled them to be the light as they give forth the gospel, uh, he supernaturally enables them to protect themselves for a time. Uh, if if, if uh, they'll, they'll evidently be some who will oppose them, hey, stop preaching that. Stop preaching that. Stop preaching that. And they'll get so uh, frustrated that they'll attempt to hurt these men. Uh, and so when that happens, they, the fire will proceed from their mouths and, and kill those uh, who intend to stop them from carrying out the Lord's ministry. Uh, that's, that's pretty extraordinary. That's pretty extraordinary. Have other supernatural abilities we see here in verse 6, which, by the way, uh, seem to sort of harken back to the uh, miracle working abilities both of Elijah uh, and of Moses with regard to the plagues of Egypt. By the way, uh, Brother Ray, the, the plagues of Egypt, did Moses do that or did the Lord do that? <laughs> the Lord did that, right? Sure, he, he, he worked through Moses. Um, did, did Elijah um, uh, on his own apart from the Lord uh, cause a, a drought, cause it to, to not rain? No, he didn't. It was the Lord uh, working through Elijah to call forth that miracle. Uh, and so we understand the Lord has employed uh, his, his men at times in history to, uh, to call forth miracles from the Lord, but ultimately they're miracles uh, from the Lord. That's, that's the way I believe is the best, best way to understand that. Verse 6, these have power... Uh, to shut heaven. What's that mean? Well, keep reading. Uh, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. So uh, as uh, Elijah uh, announced a period of flood, as, as we said, uh, that it would not rain. The, these, these have the same uh, power, and I think it's implied at least that they, they cause it not to rain for, for this period. Uh, they have power over waters to turn them to blood, uh, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Uh, so Lord gives them this ability. Ultimately, that miracle working ability is from the Lord. It's the power of God that is worked through uh, these two witnesses. So uh, you look at verse 6 and you say, well, okay, if I know my Bible, I know Elijah did uh, announced something similar, 1 Kings 17. We wasn't that long ago that we were there, so hopefully that's, that's, that's familiar, kind of in the memory banks, 1 Kings 17. Elijah was able to do that uh, in the strength and power of the Lord. 
Uh, and then we think about Moses uh, and, and uh, the plagues of Egypt turning uh, water to blood, uh, smiting the earth with all plagues. Uh, and so I look at that and I say, well, okay, this is one of those cases where uh, I can look at that and say, the, sure enough, the Lord accomplished that in the past. Bible records that, and so that that will increase our confidence, our faith. The Lord will accomplish this same thing uh, in the future. Brother Gary, we tend to think of the Lord not working miracles sort of the same way today as he has in the past. Uh, and, and there might be a degree of truth to that, but of course he's still working miracles today. Uh, and evidently, verse 6, in the future he will in fact perform some of the same miracles uh, that he did in the past. And Brother Garcia, I look at this and you kind of wonder about this, if this is here, if this is prophesied, if this will happen. You, you think about the purpose of this, right? Do you have, do you have thoughts about the Lord giving these men the, this ability? What would be the purpose of that, do you suppose? I kind of just wonder and marvel at it, right? Yeah, God knows. The Lord knows. Um, so, you know, I think about, um, well, how did the Lord use similar miracles in the past? He uh, he wanted the attention of, of people, certainly. Um, he, he wanted uh, Pharaoh to do something. He wanted Pharaoh's attention. He wanted the Lord to know that, he, he wanted Pharaoh to know that the Lord is the one true God uh, to be worshiped and ultimately to let his people go. And so, you know, I think you would look at this and say, well, uh, obviously the Lord has purposes or, or this would not be here. He wants to be known I think we could conclude or theorize, uh, Brother Gary, that Lord wants it to be known that these men uh, uh, speak forth his message. So as they're prophesying, giving forth the words of God, no doubt preaching the gospel, uh, accompanied by these miracles, this, this will get attention. Well, brother, I think this is the idea. Uh, you know, the words would have attention. Evidently, they offend, as, as the gospel does. People want to harm them. Uh, but these miracles would certainly bring attention to them as well. Um, and the Lord doesn't so much want uh, these men to receive attention as their message, uh, which is from the Lord. Uh, so they, they speak forth the prophecy, which no doubt is the gospel and, and maybe more. Um, perhaps they're, they're speaking forth uh, prophetically the next events in the, uh, the prophetic timeline also. Uh, that, that's certainly a possibility. We know that people will try to harm them in verse 5, but uh, the Lord gives them ability to protect themselves supernaturally until he doesn't. Uh, evidently, there's a point that is accomplished where uh, the Lord allows them to be killed and, and seen as having been killed uh, and then raised. So this will be another miracle the Lord will use to draw attention to them, but... Again, I, I would surmise more so to their message, uh, to draw attention more to the men, uh, forgive me, to the message than to the men. Of course, the message points to and is regarding the Lord. So see verse 7, when, and when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them uh, and shall overcome them and kill them. So they're their self-protective powers are, um, are that the Lord gave them evidently are ended. Uh, this is the end of their ministry. Um, some have said that um, 
the, this, this might coincide with the beginning of the ministry of the 144,000. That's, that's an interesting theory. So perhaps the Lord uses these two for time. And when the 144,000 are saved and commissioned to go forth, the Lord no longer uh, will use two, but rather the 144,000. That, that's, that's a possibility, just depending on how we understand uh, the timeline. But uh, in any event, the Lord, uh, he allows them to be killed. He allows their bodies to be seen for three and a half days. Verse 8, their dead bodies uh, shall lie in the street of the great city, uh, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. And also our Lord was, uh, where, where also our Lord was crucified. And verse 9 is very interesting. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies uh, three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies uh, to be put in graves. So verse nine is that verse where, you know, it certainly seems like uh, John is saying, as he's moved by inspiration to say that people around the world will be able to see these these two uh, that lay dead in the street. They have the of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations. So people around the world, it would seem, uh, shall see their dead bodies three and a half days, uh, three days and a half. Now, again, Brother Ray, I think this could be, this could have been accomplished supernaturally by the Lord at any point in history from, you know, John writing in somewhere around 90 AD uh, to, uh, up until today, the Lord could have accomplished this supernaturally. He might still accomplish the seeing of these bodies around the world supernaturally, uh, or he might use technology like, like cable news to do that. Brother Garcia uh, has been thinking about these verses this week. As you watch the news, uh, I, I can't help but think about these verses this week because we have seen these horrifying images of people killed in some of those southern towns of, of Israel uh, and left in the street. And uh, we're, we, we literally have seen uh, images like that if you've been you know, unfortunate enough to be watching news when they show these things or in the New York Times or various other places um, online on the World Wide Web. Um, we, we've literally seen in the, in the past week bodies laying in the streets on international global media. So that's very interesting. Uh, obviously it's not the tribulation yet, uh, and, and we've not seen the bodies of the two witnesses, but we certainly have seen bodies lying in the street uh, in Israel, and th those have been seen around the world. So perhaps, perhaps the Lord will use um, global news media uh, as, as we have seen in, in the past week. So in any event, somehow, some way, people around the world see uh, the, the, the dead bodies of, of the two witnesses who've been killed. Um, Bible says they shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in, in graves. And um, so not permitting burial um, is, Brother Ray, you may recall in the Old Testament, that's, that's, um, that's a picture of, of dishonor or despising someone. Um, you see that in Ecclesiastes, uh, um, uh, his soul be not filled with good also that he shall have no burial. Uh, uh, so talking about one who's um, uh, despised or, or dishonored, uh, not having a burial. Uh, King Jehoiakim, 
uh, Jeremiah 22:18. Jeremiah prophesied that Jehoiakim uh, would die. He shall be buried the, with the burial of an ass drawn and cast forth beyond the gates of Jerusalem. So uh, a dishonorable burial or a lack of burial is a sign of dishonor. And so um, it's not the Lord dishonoring them. It's, it's, it's the people uh, there in the future tribulation that are dishonoring these two witnesses of the Lord by just leaving them to rot in the street rather than uh, burying them. Well, uh, the Lord uses that. The Lord has allowed them to be killed, uh, evidently. Uh, the Lord allows their bodies to be seen lying in the street uh, for three and a half days. Um, today, and with global media, an awful lot of people can see something in three and a half days, millions, tens of millions. Um, so the world will see that they're dead. Uh, there'll be no question about that. Uh, the world will, will, will be able to see that. And it seems in verse 10, the world is celebrating that. They, uh, they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice <laughs> over them uh, and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets torm uh, tormented them that dwelt on the earth. So uh, the world will quite literally celebrate their death. Even, even by exchanging gifts, they will celebrate the death of these two prophets who, uh, in the eyes of the lost, have tormented them with the message of the Lord. Um, many wanted them dead. Now they're dead. Their uh, convicting message will have ceased, um, at least with respect to that coming from these two men. And, and so the, the world celebrates that. Uh, but wait, there's more. <laughs> and, and now the rest of the story uh, verse 11, after the three and a half days, after all the celebrating of their death, after people around the world somehow uh, see their, their, their dead bodies, the Lord resurrects them. Verse 11, after three days and a half, uh, the spirit of life from God entered into them. Uh, what is life? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's the spirit of life from God. <laughs> Brother Ray, the fact that we have a spirit uh, and a physical body that's all from the Lord. The spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet uh, and great fear fell upon all them which saw them. Right, so the whole world's been celebrating their death uh, and now suddenly after three and a half days they're alive again, resurrected uh, from the dead quite literally. Uh, well, Gary, I look at that and I say, well, the Lord Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, rose again on the third day, uh, these, these men will be resurrected by the Lord after three and a half days. We, we know the Lord is able uh, to do this. Uh, he, at, by this point, the Lord will have resurrected the, the bodies of, of believers, uh, we believe, prior to the uh, beginning uh, of the tribulation period. Uh, and so, yeah, there will, we, we will have been resurrected. Uh, now these two will be resurrected, and, and evidently this is seen um, around the world. Later on, just, just turn there real fast to chapter 13. Uh, later on, the um, Antichrist um, um, evidently seeks to counterfeit this miracle or to co-opt this, this type of, of miracle uh, Revelation 13, 3, I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed and, and all the world wondered after the beast. So uh, it would seem that the, the Antichrist, uh, who's a, a 
human ruler who rises up during the tribulation period, uh, it would seem to be the case that, that he is shot, wounded as to dead, uh, and then is healed and seems to come back to life again. Does that literally happen or does it seem to happen? Well, the um, Bible says, uh, as it were, wounded to death, his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after me. So it seems to be the case that, that he's, he's, he's killed uh, and, and then uh, made to be alive again. Um, how exactly is this accomplished? Is it demonic power? That would seem to be the case. Uh, Janet, we understand that any power that is demonic is permitted by and ultimately, in a sense at least, from the Lord. So uh, here's just another example of the devil co-opting what the Lord does and using that for uh, his purposes. So we'll get there in, in, in a couple of weeks. Uh, come back to our passage here, uh, verse 12. Um, they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, uh, come up hither, uh, and they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies behind them. So uh, evidently, these two witnesses, when they're brought back to life, when they're resurrected, they're then raptured. Uh, they, they have a personal rapture. We've seen this uh, in the Old Testament at least once before. Uh, and uh, at this point, we will have been raptured also. Uh, and now the two prophets, uh, they've been resurrected uh, and raptured uh, into heaven as well. Brother Ray, this is seen by the world. You, you would think, you would hope, you would expect that this, this has the world's attention. No, no doubt that's, that's the Lord's um, intention. And so um, the two witnesses um, anointed by the Lord to be uh, his candlesticks, to give forth the light of his word, uh, supernaturally protected by the Lord as long as the Lord chooses to. Um, he ultimately allows them to die, uh, but he resurrects and raptures them back to heaven uh, once their mission is complete. And Gary, certainly there's, this is literal. Uh, this, this evidently will literally happen, but can't help but see parallels between these two and our own lives, our own ministry, uh, and our own future. Again, we are ministering in the strength and power uh, of the Spirit of God, giving forth the Lord's words, uh, no doubt protected by the Lord quite supernaturally at times. Uh, we will die. We will be supernaturally resurrected at the rapture uh, and off to heaven, Brother Ray. So, yeah, this what's being described here is miraculous and, and wonderful in that sense, but not that much different than um, what we are called to today uh, and our future hope as well. Gary, we're not shooting fire out of our mouths. So there's, there's definitely differences. Uh, there are definitely differences, but certainly uh, some parallels also. Let's go a bit further. So uh, now verses 13, 14, uh, we have the third woe uh, or the seventh trumpet. It's a great earthquake that will occur. It seems to be in Jerusalem. Uh, of course, we're seeing great earthquakes around the world. Uh, doesn't mean that it's the tribulation, uh, but, but perhaps uh, it's consistent with the stage being set. Uh, verse 13, the same hour, and the same hour was there a great earthquake uh, and the tenth part of the city fell. 
Uh, and in the earthquake were slain of men 7,000, and the remnant, those that lived, were affrighted, they were frightened, uh, and gave glory to the God of heaven. So the Lord allows this uh, very difficult um, event to occur during the tribulation, uh, and the result is that uh, those who live give glory to God. And so this, this, this course, would be no doubt consistent with the Lord's purpose. Um, I think... Uh, Wednesday night, we mentioned, we didn't talk about it for long, but the two big earthquakes that happened in Afghanistan here in the past couple of weeks, and, and entire towns and villages evidently were just leveled, just completely leveled with, we don't know how many were, were killed, perhaps one to 2,000 or more. So um, we've seen some very significant earthquakes around the world in recent days that have done significant damage. Evidently, this one, uh, will cause a tenth of the city of Jerusalem to fall. Certainly that's conceivable based on just some of the things that, that we've seen in our own days. Um, 7,000 will be killed. We've seen earthquakes kill thousands uh, in recent memory. Um, and you know, you hope that as people around the world see and, and experience these things, it, it causes them to draw closer to the Lord. Here John sees people giving glory to the Lord. Uh, being drawn close to him, probably celebrating the fact that they're still alive, but uh, they, the event is, in fact, drawing people to the Lord. Verse 14, John says, The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Uh, and so this would be the seventh trumpet judgment that we see uh, here, starting in verse 15. So there's a voice in heaven that announces that Christ uh, is about to come and, and seize control. Uh, verse 15 says this, the seventh angel sounded uh, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord uh, and of his Christ uh, and he shall reign forever and ever. And so uh, this angel seems to be announcing uh, the coming uh, of the Lord himself. Turn over to chapter 14. Turn, flip, just flip ahead a few pages, uh, I would guess, <laughs> to chapter 14. Uh, here's a wonderful passage that's, that's familiar to us. Uh, chapter 14, beginning in verse 14, John says, I looked, behold, the white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a gold golden crown, uh, in his hand a sharp sickle, and another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Uh, and he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came uh, out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel uh, came out from the altar, uh, evidently the altar in heaven, which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle saying, thrust in uh, the sharp sickle, gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. Uh, that which the Lord has desired to accomplish is accomplished. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered uh, the vine uh, of the earth and cast it uh, into the great winepress of the wrath of God and the winepress was trotted without the city, blood came out. Uh, so on and, and, and so forth. Turn uh, over quickly, please, to chapter 19. Uh, chapter 19, beginning in verse 11, John writes, I saw heaven opened, and behold, the white horse, and he that sat upon him 
was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and, and make war. This is the uh, gl resurrected, glorified Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God, John 1. Uh, and the armies which were in heaven followed him. This is us, evidently, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, uh, white and clean. And, of course, the passage goes on. He's called the King of kings and Lord of lords in verse 16. This is, uh, this is familiar to us. You come back to verse 15 uh, in our passage, uh, chapter 11. Uh, the coming of Christ uh, is announced. And uh, in the passages that follow, uh, it is described uh, as we've seen. Um, and so verse 15 establishes that the scene is now uh, heaven. There were great voices in heaven. If you look at verse 16, um, John's vision there of heaven uh, seems to be continued. Uh, there's the 24 elders who worship the Lord. The four and 20 elders which sat before God on their seats uh, fell upon their faces and worshiped God. So uh, these, whomever they are, and there's, there's different thoughts and theories about that, but whomever they are, John has this vision as this announcement of the coming of Christ is made. Uh, he's, he's permitted um, the opportunity to view um, this scene of worship in heaven by these uh, quote-unquote, four and twenty elders. You see them falling on their faces and worshiping uh, their humble worship. You can just quickly jot down, and we're done, a few uh, characteristics of their worship. It's humble. They're humbling themselves before the Lord. Uh, they speak, uh, and they're thankful or grateful, secondly. Verse 17 says they're saying, we give thee thanks. So there's this wonderful humility pictured. You see them bowing down humbly. Uh, you hear them saying, we give thanks. John sees this, their, their, their worship is humble and it's thankful. And then thirdly, this is the last thing we see is that their worship is praiseful. It's filled with praises. Uh, it's humble, they're bowing down. It's worshipful in the sense of giving thanks. It's worshipful in the sense of speaking forth praises to uh, the Lord. Uh, as verse 17 continues, you see they, they praise him for um, his attributes. First, his eternality. They say, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come. So Almighty, might, there's an allusion to his um, omnipotence also. But he is the God which art, which was, uh, and art to come. He's, he's eternal. And so uh, their worship is very praiseful and their praise is filled with his attributes. Uh, they praise him again for his omnipotence because thou hast taken to thee thy great power uh, and hast reigned. So uh, it's humble, it's grateful or thankful. It's filled with praises uh, that are built around uh, his his attributes. Praise him also for the judgment, the imminent judgment of, of tribulation saints and Old Testament believers. 
apparently for the uh, later judgment of the lost as well. Verse 18, and the nations were angry and thy wrath has come in the time of the dead that they should be judged that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants the prophets and to the saints and to them that fear thy name small and great and shouldest destroy them uh, which destroy the earth. So uh, again here in, in verse 18 they seem to praise the Lord for uh, the, the coming, it's, I think it's about to occur at this point, the judgment of tribulation saints together with Old Testament believers and then the uh, judgment that would follow after that, the judgment of the lost, uh, the great white throne judgment. So uh, remember, Brother Ray, when, when the rapture comes, uh, we'll experience judgment in the sense of the judgment seat of Christ uh, but it seemed to be the case that um, uh, Old Testament believers, uh, together with those who die during the tribulation, uh, will be judged by the Lord at a future judgment. And I think that's alluded to here in verse 18, together with the, the beyond that judgment of the, um, uh, of the lost. So there's three resurrections, including the rapture pictured um, in scripture and this this would be consistent with that um, verse 19 we're done john john is privileged to view the heavenly temple as we said the temple of god was opened in heaven uh, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament or or covenant uh, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake uh, and great hail uh, and so John, again, the scene opens with a vision of the earthly tribulation uh, temple. Uh, he reveals some truth uh, regarding what will be happening on earth with the two uh, witnesses. Uh, he's then permitted to picture or to see a vision of heavenly worship uh, and then a vision of the heavenly temple. So it's sort of from the earthly temple to the heavenly temple and things in between. It's a pretty extraordinary chapter. Uh, we need to stop, let's pray. Father, thank you, uh, Lord, this morning for uh, this chapter. Uh, Lord, we, we marvel <laughs> at the things that you permitted John to see. No doubt he did also as he struggled uh, to understand, to comprehend Lord, we know that um, you supernaturally enabled him to see these visions and supernaturally led him to write exactly as he did, uh, Lord, that, that we might understand. And Father, I believe also to make uh, application in our own lives. And Lord, I, I'm reminded again this morning that while we are not uh, the two witnesses of the tribulation period, we are called to be witnesses for you today. And, uh, while we uh, don't have the same exact supernatural abilities that they will have in the tribulation, we have the Holy Spirit today uh, who enables us to go forth and, and give forth your words as we trust in your uh, enablement and your protection. Lord, help us to be about that business today, uh, knowing that during this church age, uh, you are using uh, the candlesticks of your churches uh, to accomplish this same work. Father, we rejoice this morning at the privilege uh, to serve you. Uh, Lord, we understand that's difficult often, and 
Uh, there can even be a, a degree of persecution at times, but uh, Lord, we can uh, rejoice despite that uh, as we focus on who we're serving. And of course, Lord, that's you. Uh, Father, give us hearts to do just that. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks very much. We'll be back shortly.